We have, as many of you well know, been in a series of messages on worship. We take very seriously what God is saying to us about this to pray. And it started out to be a series of messages that I wanted to preach to help us in our time together when we're reaching out to God. But instantly, the Holy Spirit began to move me and change the direction of the messages to include the fact that every day of our lives that we rise, not, not just Sunday morning, but every day of our lives that we rise out of bed should be a day of worship for us. Everything that we do and say about the Father should move us in that direction. So, just kept getting this information from the Word of God that began to build and build and build, and now we're on sermon number four. And today's message is titled, The Commitment of Worship. The Commitment of Worship. And before I say another word, let me just say to you, Merry Christmas. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to begin reading at verse 1. Matthew chapter 2. We'll begin reading at verse 1. I want to give you a chance to get there because you're going to think right away this is a Christmas message. But what I kept looking for in the Word of God and, and what I kept being drawn to were phrases like this, and they came to worship him. They came to worship him. And if you did not come here today to worship him, you need to rethink your agenda. Right? It's not about the people you're seeing around you. It's not about what you're wearing. It's really not about anything else but about him. Right? I love being your pastor, but I hope you didn't just come here today to be with me. Right? If you just came here to be with me, we're going to fall real short of God's expectation for our time together, all right? All right, Matthew chapter 2, beginning verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, if it doesn't get more Christmas than that, does it? But watch, pay attention to these words. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi, 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 I'm not exactly sure, but Magi came, or Magi from the east arrived Jews, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, after I read those words, I want to know everything they said and did. I want to know how did they, what did they go through to get to where they wanted to be in a place of worship, they wanted, to, they wanted to find him, and they wanted to worship him. That's two key points right there. When we arrive here, we're not just, I mean, think about it. Ain't nobody here to entertain anybody. Amen? I mean, we come here for a purpose, and that's to rally around the name of Jesus Christ and to worship him, and I want to know what these guys did to get there. I want to know how they prepared. I want to know what did they bring with them. Amen? Pay attention. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. 
Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Mm. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their what? Their treasures. They presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now this message has a purpose. And it's to understand that God is worthy of our full commitment to worship him. God is worthy of our full commitment to worship him. Such a commitment will mean a commitment of our time, a commitment of our talents, a commitment of our treasures, and a commitment of our trust. Can you say amen? Some passages of Scripture are too rich in content to be limited to study at one time of the year. This is one batch of Scriptures. The passage about the visit of the wise men only during Easter. I'm just kidding. Only during Christmas, right, William? They're paying attention, William. But it has a message about worship that is relevant all year long. When you need to determine the value of your home, the person you need to call is the appraiser. Amen? If you ever sold a home, you got an appraiser involved, right? They consider the neighborhood in which your home is located. They take into account its age and its condition and carefully inspect every inch of your dwelling, paying attention to all the modifications and upgrades you've made or the places where neglect has brought about deterioration. Once they have all the data in hand, they can make an estimate of the value of your home Think about this. In worship, something like that comes into play. When I think of appraisers and appraising, I think of worship. Now, let me tell you why. For God has invited each of us to appraise him. He asks you. He invites you. Appraise him, to examine him, and assess his worth. You know... I know a lot of people that I, I get to talk with and I get to be with that don't know Jesus. And if there's one thing that I can, if I could convince them to do just this one thing, come and see for yourself. Come and appraise. Look what the Word of God says. For God has invited each of us to appraise him, to examine him and assess his worth. When we do that, he knows the conclusion to which we must come. 
He knows that in all honesty, we can never give a low appraisal of him and his work. In fact, the Bible instructs us in Psalm chapter 38, verse 8. Psalm 38, or I'm sorry, Psalm 34, verse 8. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? That's an appraisal. That's an appraisal. He says, in effect, come and check it out for yourself. Find out for yourself whether I'm worthy of praise. Make an appraisal of my actions, my character, and my very being, and see whether you think I'm deserving of praise and worship. God is asking us for a commitment, and he can do that because he can stand up to being appraised. Have you ever had your house appraised and you were kind of concerned about what they might find? You know, what am I going to have to fix? You know, what, what's that list going to look like? And we've even prayed to him, Lord, please help with the appraisal, right? Don't let anything be wrong with my house. You never have to worry about how God is going to present himself. Amen? He's never going to disappoint. We just need to pray for those who are lost that they will only turn to him and look. Amen? Turn to him and look. One of the outcomes of spending time in God's presence is that we discover that our praise will lead us to worship with all of our hearts. Every now and then, as a child of God, it's important that we look again. It's easy for us to get caught up in the scheduling of this world, the craziness that's going on. The, you know what? People can even get caught up in too much television watching. Something simple as that. Amen? When we look at the story of the wise men who come from halfway around the known world at the time to kneel before the infant, as found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we can learn some important lessons about the commitments we need to make in relation to worship. We're going to look at these four crucial points that are on the board this morning. Number one, God is worthy of a commitment of your time. You can't worship God without a commitment of your time. You just can't, you know. Um, I remember being told one time by somebody, well, we'd come to church, but your church is too far, and they were out in the valley. And I was reminded of two missionary men that I heard almost identical testimonies of going to China and teaching the Bible to preachers over there. And when they got there, they found out that the people that had come to see them were sitting on dirt floors in front of them, wanting to soak up the Word of God for 12 to 16, 18 hours a day, had just ridden six days on a train where they sat in a train car on the floor and traveled for six days to get to where he was so they could hear the gospel. Now, there are a lot of good churches out in the valley, but I cringe to think that someone thinks it's too far to come from the valley to a place of worship it's sad but it's the world in which we're living in but you're here today and I thank God for each and every one of you the Magi, the Magi made a long and time-consuming journey to come and worship Jesus the example they set for us should be clear they were willing to cover whatever distance was necessary to get them to the place where the Savior was the Magi were busy people Listen, you know, when I got to looking into these guys, I was kind of amazed. You know what they remind me of? 
They remind me of some secular professors out there who got together in a university or a college one day and began to talk about, you know, these issues, these things that were out there that people were talking about, that there were certain prophecies out there about a child that would come named Jesus and that he would be the Savior of the world. And when these guys first struck out to find him, it was on an intellectual level. But by the time they found the Christ and knew that he was true and knew that he was real and appraised him for themselves, they saw the value of the child of God. David wrote in the Psalms that he meditated on God day and night. In Psalm 145, he says that every day he blessed the name of the Lord. Can we say that? Now, thank God, I can't imagine a day going by that I don't turn to him because, you know what, I find older in life, though I, I'm, I'm glad to be at this point that I'm at in my life where the world pulls less, amen? I mean, it seems like the longer you live, the older you get, the more the, more the world just seems to distance itself from you and you get closer to God. I can't think of a day that, I don't, that goes by that I don't mess something up that I need to talk to him about <laughs> I need to ask him to help me with it. I don't know the outcome of the situation. I need to take some time to cast my care of it over on him. Or I can be buried in doubt, fear, and unbelief. Amen? Making the effort to come and worship with others will mean making a choice about how we are going to use our time. You know, when I woke up at 3 o'clock this morning in Fairbanks, Alaska, and I knew that later today I'd be in Anchorage, Alaska, and I would be with you again that put fire in my step, right? I broke out this, this message again and began to go over it and just got excited all over again, amen? Point number two, God is worthy of a commitment of our talents. We commonly refer to the Magi as the wise men. They were intelligent and highly educated in the areas of science and law. That's what I found out by investigating. They were scholars who carefully studied the movement of heavenly body, bodies similar to astronomers or astrologers. You know what caught their eye? A scripture way back in the Old Testament that said that a star would appear. The Magi were highly religious people, but their religion was not at the time the true faith. Still, when they came to understand who Jesus was and they got into his presence, they bowed before him. That's what happens when you find him. Can you say amen? These men were rich. They were educated. They were powerful. But these men bowed down before a toddler. They bowed down before a toddler. They overcame their religious misunderstandings because of what the true God had revealed to them. That's what happens when you go after God. How many of you believe that God is pretty smart? He's pretty smart, amen? He knows his way around a problem, doesn't he? When we come before Jesus, we must humble ourselves as the wise men did. We must put our own successes and gifts and talents on the altar, bowing down in humility and offering them to God. We should give honor where honor is due, but remember that even the most esteemed must bow before the knee. One day, everyone, everyone will bow the knee. Everyone. You think that God's being mocked today? No. God is not mocked. 
One day, all of these people who will get angry at you for your testimony, angry at you for your witness, angry at you for claiming Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, they will bow before God, and they will proclaim that Jesus is Lord. God is not mocked. Amen? We should not be threatened by the Herods who have power in this world. The wise men feared God and his will more than they feared Herod. You are never too much of a big shot that you need not bow down before him. I always loved it in those stories in the Old Testament where you had men that literally God had raised up. Many times God raised up men and armies that brought judgment in this world. And they began to rule major portions of this world, portions of this world. The Persian Empire was like that. But when they conquered Israel and took Israelites as slaves for 70 years, God worked through those slaves. And there were times when God manifested himself so greatly that these kings could not help but do anything but recognize the hand of the God of the Israelites and proclaimed before all of the Persian Empire that the God the Israelites served was God indeed. Amen? Because you're never too much of a big shot that you don't need to bow down before God. Third point, God's worthy of a commitment of your treasures. Do you know that as a pastor I get concerned? Um, there, I've had people, I just stood up to take an offering in a church one time and because I said a few more words than the man thought I should have said about the offering. He got up and walked out and made sure he called me later to let me know, you talk too much about money. You know, I, I don't know what to tell you except that God's in charge of everything. God owns everything. It's all God's money anyway. Amen? And what more can I say to you than the thank yous that I have got? I've never seen anything like it. Thank you once again. This is powerful. This is a powerful message about God's people and their desires to place everything at the feet of God, of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right? In verse 11, the wise men offer very significant gifts to Jesus. Gold, very valuable. Can you say amen? Valuable. All right? It's a gift you give to royalty, though. Right? Through this gift, they recognize his kingship. Frankincense is a fragrant scent that would be poured on the altar whenever an offering was made to God. You got, all you got to do is study the book of Leviticus. Imagine this with me. We talked about the tabernacle last week. There was a lot of death and animals. There was a great deal of bloodshed, right? And animals were, were burned. They, 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 their throats were cut. They were bled. There was... There was can you imagine for a couple of million people in the wilderness it took a lot of animals to be sacrificed? There was a lot of blood. How many of you believe that there could have been a tremendous stench? This is how they took care of it. Frankincense. Frankincense is a beautiful aroma. And it changed everything at, at that brazen altar. It changed everything. It changed how it smelled. How many of you know there's a huge difference and sometimes even a thin line between an odor and an aroma. <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you real quick here. 
I, I love to go for the laugh, but I didn't know it was going to be that funny. But I'm not going to ask you, what's so funny? No, I'm not going to do it, all right? But there is a... There, there could have been, it could have been a terrible stench at the tabernacle, but it wasn't because of frankincense, which is very valuable, I might add. All right? All right. It covered the smell of the burning of the sacrificial animals and transformed it into a sweeter aroma. Isn't that like God? Isn't that, isn't that an amazing thing that... that uh, God took something as terrible as a cross. And, and I've noticed that people today who live today have, have difficulty understanding what I'm trying to convey here. But the cross was a terrible, dirty, uh, completely awful way to die. It was a place of shame, tremendous shame. Anyone who saw a person hang on a cross just automatically thought this is one of the worst people in the world to suffer the death that they suffered on a cross, they must have done something awful. But by the time Jesus was finished with it, it became a beautiful piece of jewelry that even sinners will wear. Even people who don't serve God will wear it proudly. And it's as if, have you ever seen a rag that was just so saturated and you try to twist it and wring all the water out of it and you can't, just get all the water out of it no matter how tight you wring it but Jesus is the only one that's ever been able to take that thing and wring it completely dry with his death and resurrection on the cross and take something as ugly as the cross and turn it into something so beautiful and valuable that we would wear it around our necks we'd wear it on our clothes and jewelry that's just the way God is. Amen? What we don't get to grasp today because we don't have a tabernacle like that and we don't have to sacrifice animals is that this gift of frankincense that they used in the tabernacle, through this gift, it covered the smell of the burning of the sacrificial animal and transformed into a sweeter aroma through this gift they recognize the divinity of God. That's what I read. They just recognized through that gift the divinity of God in the tabernacle. It didn't stink like it could have. Amen? God, Christ, he's the one who makes us sweet in the presence of God through his own sacrifice. Say, oh, Brother Dennis, not me. I'm a mess. We're all a mess. Come on. You, have you seen our website lately? You need to go visit your website. It's completely redone. Nice Ring Bible Church. Just go read it, all right? What it says is we're a, a church full of hurting people there for hurting people. Amen? We're all a mess. That's what it says, all right? Through this gift, they recognize that he was born to die. When you know who Jesus is, you bring your gifts and treasures with you and you lay them at his feet. The Magi gave their best because they were giving to the best. They brought their best. That's the best they had. Not everybody has all that. But what we have, even, even the apostles, the disciples said, you know, we're not rich, but what we do have to give, we give. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. 
Do you think that person that was crippled would rather have a bank full of money or be able to get up and walk again? They choose to get up and walk. Amen? Point number four, God is worthy of a commitment of your trust. You can trust him. You already know you can talk to him about anything. Amen? You're not going to shock God. It's not, you're not going to surprise him. He's your father, and, and he, has, he has something over your parents. He knows everything. Though I will tell you that my parents were pretty gifted. There was a lot of things I thought they didn't know that I found out later. They were, they were a little sharper than I thought they were, you know. I remember one time being so intoxicated that I got sick. I, was, I mean, I was really sick. You think, you think, no, I had alcohol poisoning, you know. So that hangover was a little worse than other hangovers, right? And I thought I hit it pretty well, right? My dad got me up. I had a Volkswagen that I paid $75 for, so you can imagine it needed a little work, <laughs> right? Well, I had to take the running boards off of it, and I had to sand the thing, and I had to get it ready to paint. Well, he had me out there under that car with that hangover taking those running boards off of it. Now, I thought I did so well that mom and dad didn't know, right? Mom and dad had no idea, right? You know... Just the other day, I, I asked my youngest son, I said, did you know what your dad was like as a teenager? He said, I think I've got a pretty good idea. I said, I remember mom, grandmama and grandpa telling me about the time you thought you got away with being drunk. <laughs> and I said, really? <laughs> I said, what did they say? And he started talking. I said, okay, that's enough. <laughs> You know what? Family who loves you, they know. Amen? God's worthy of a commitment of your trust. The Magi, they see the unique star. It's a personalized star. Can you say amen? And they know it's like no other. Make this note. Numbers 24, verse 17 was one of the first places I could find where it talked about this. It said that there would be a star that would come from the nation of Israel for all of the people of the world. Amen? The Magi respond to the revelation of God that they see in a unique star. The star doesn't give them all the details, though. star's there. It's an attraction. It's a map. It's a guide, but it doesn't tell them everything. Amen? They don't have all of the specific information they desire, but they take a step of faith to follow. And I'm telling you, it wasn't no easy trip. It was going to take time. In fact, the Magi get further guidance to find Jesus, even from people like Herod. Remember, Herod was the one that told them to go to Bethlehem. Even he knew that much. You know, how many of you believe that God can use anybody he wants to use to give you guidance? Because he's God. We trust him. He can do anything he wants to do. Amen? Watch this. What did we learn from these guys? That God's guidance is not only good for leading, but it's good for protection. God protected those men from Herod, didn't he? God's direction often takes us in a different direction than we planned on going, right? You know, those guys had a plan. 
when they got ready, they would go home, right? When, when they finished before Christ, they were going to go home. But in a dream, God revealed to them that they needed to go a different way to avoid Herod. Amen? You have to be ready for your plans to be interrupted. You have to be ready for your plans to be interrupted, for your plans to be changed. And you know why that's okay? You know, I often wondered, Paul, in the Bible, he's going here, he's going there. You know, God must have just been directing him all the time. You know what? Paul went and went and went and went and went and did work for the Lord everywhere he went. And on two occasions, an angel appeared to him and said, that place you're planning on going right now, don't go. Don't go there, go here. Happened twice. And the rest of the time, he's just going and working. He just followed the plow. Amen? Paul just went and did the work of the Lord. Sometimes I think we just need to get busy because God will interrupt and talk to busy people. That's why I say it's always important. If you want to quit your job, quit your job, but have another one. That's just where you go to. Go find the next one while you still got one in your hand. Amen? That's just wisdom, right? That's just wisdom, right? And if God wants to interrupt that plan, let him. All right? Okay. At every step, the wise men had to trust in God. They had to obey his leading. God is worthy of our time. He's worthy of our talents. He's worthy of our treasures. And he's worthy of our trust. You know, you start thinking about illustrations, things that kind of help drive the message home, you know? And the illustration that I, that I remember was this. When the American hostages came home from Iran on January 20th in, 19, in 1981, I remember that. And it struck me. The first thing they did when they got off the plane wasn't order a cheeseburger. How many remember what the first thing they, was they did when they got off the plane? Knelt on the dirty tarmac. And they kissed the dirty tarmac, right? Where trashy shoes had walked, people had thrown stuff down, big jets had driven over it, people spit on it. Didn't matter. Didn't matter, did it? Here's what I wrote. When the American hostages came home from Iran on January 20th, 1981, the first thing they did when they got off the plane was to bow down and kiss the ground. No matter what kind of achievement or status they had before their capture. They put their lips on that dirty tarmac. They knew where they were and where they had been. If we stop bowing down, it's because we've forgotten where we've been. We forget sometimes where God found us. If we forget that, we'll forget why. We say, well, why, Pastor, are you riding this thing on worship? Because I can't forget where he found me. It's because we've forgotten that we've been hostages in Satan's territory. 
We live in a time of instant generation, instant oatmeal, instant cereal, microwavable food. You pop it in, pop it out, you've got it. God's presence doesn't work that way. The effort and the weight are worth your while and worth your effort. Is there any skill, any victory, any talent, any knowledge, any degree, any giftedness that you, you still own? Or have you bowed down? Have you thrown them all down at his feet in recognition of who he is? Trust me, God's got 101 ways to buckle your knees. That's why the Bible says to humble yourself beneath the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. Because you don't, if you don't humble yourself, he will have to do the humbling for you. This might be one of the most powerful statements, and it's the last one. The will of God knows exactly where it is going down to a particular stall. The will of God knows exactly where it is going down to the particular stall. It's amazing for me to think that Jesus was born in a stall where he knew exactly where he was going to be born. He had given life to the mother who gave birth to him. He had created the men who ultimately drove the nails in his hands and his feet. You know what? I'd say this to you. At one time or another, you know, we were with the group that spit at him. We were with the group that drove the nails and the hands and the feet. And he loved us enough to hear our cry anyway. Just come to him. Amen? Anyone who moves in his direction, he'll meet you. Amen? And he'll show you who he is. We have, to my knowledge at this point, one more message, one final message on worship. If you haven't gathered by now, and I've done a poor job of conveying this to you, every one of these messages on worship are important. It wasn't just to enhance a 20-minute time of singing to God on Sunday morning at Lifespring Bible Church. It was to change our lives and cause us to start getting it right every day of our life you know there this world's full of myriad distractions out there you know and even the certain trials that you're facing in your life right now that you're tempted to allow them to bury you don't do it you and your future your life the very breath you breathe today it's in the hands of god your life's not over amen your best days always lie ahead of you. They always lie ahead of you. And the thing that kicked it off was the one thing that lies behind you. You met Jesus. Amen? So we need a miracle. We need a miracle in our lives today. If we don't get a miracle, we're going to get our ears tickled every Sunday about worship, and then we're going to walk away from it and we're going to forget it. That's not my style as your pastor. I don't stand up here, ooh, I love to impress you. No, I just want to give you the word. 
you know. One day the church will be so large we'll have to have specialized discipleship training classes. Did you know that? But right now my goal is to disciple every one of us. Every single solitary one of us. Let this word change your life. Amen. It's going to take a miracle. There's a lot of distractions out there. Amen. Do you believe God has a miracle for you? I'm believing him for miracles for me. See, when I preach up here, I'm preaching to me too, right? That's why it grits me so hard sometimes. I can't help it. And I have to stop and pause and ask God to help me get the next few words out or I won't be able to talk. God loves you. Amen. I'm going to pray for me. I'm going to pray for me. We all need help. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you want to be a part of this prayer, just stand up. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. It's an act of faith. Stand up. I'm going to pray. I'll pray for all of us. Amen. But rise up to your feet. I'm going to tell you something. One time I remember praying for somebody, and um, I was led of the Lord to grab them, hold them up, and say, listen to me carefully. Stand and take all God's got for you. Stand and take all God's got for you. And that's my challenge for you right now. Stand and take all God's got for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you once again for your word. Your word, Father, is power. And I thank you that that power is manifest in our lives in this place today. Thank you, Lord, for changing us, for touching us with the power and presence of your word. Father, we've been in this series of worship now for four Sundays. And we're going to do one more unless you just keep us going, Father. But we've endeavored with your help to glean out of your word the truth that would change us and heal us. And Father, I want to thank you right now that people are facing, some of the people in this room are facing some of the toughest trials of their life right this very minute. Right in the face of that trial, Father, reach out and touch them as they turn to you. Let them know, Father, you know the end of the matter. It's going to be okay. Help us, Father, to learn to cast the cares of this life, all of them, over on you because you care for us. Drill into us, Father, not to worry, to pray about everything. And you, Father, the one who gives peace that surpasses all understanding, would touch our lives, Father, and instill that within us. Father, we could talk forever, and we will talk forever about your greatness, your grace, your mercy, your goodness, your kindness, your provision, your help, your, your being a strong tower, Father. And Father, there are people in this room right now receiving a touch from you right when they need it the most, Lord. I want to thank you, Father, for your glory manifesting in our lives. You're such a gracious God that you don't only dwell with us in this place on Sunday mornings, but you go with us as we leave. You watch over us. You protect us. You keep us safe, Father. Cause a hunger for your word to rise up within us and consume us, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. I want to thank you, Lord, once again for all of the churches in the city that lift up the name of Jesus, but I especially want to thank you humbly, Father, for what you're doing with LifeSpring Bible Church. 
Thank you, Father, for how you're preparing us for the harvest. Father, the hand of your blessing resting on us the way it does can only mean one thing. You're not just going to wake up tomorrow morning and forget our address and forget where we're at. And, and Father, because we are clinging to you, Father, we're pressing in in the name of Jesus. If you can do the great things that you've done in our midst this summer alone, how much greater it will be as we move forward. I don't think I have seen or ears heard, Father, yet. But, Lord, we're getting hungry. And we know it's a hunger that only you can satisfy. Go with us, we pray today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Fellowship together with your brothers and sisters before you leave here today.